are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome back, weirdos, Krakowans, and all you wife guys out there. Welcome once again to your weird dose of X. I'm still Jason. And here with me is our mutual pal, Ruben. Ruben, say hello to the nice people. Hey, how's it going? I am back again. And unlike my normal appearances, I'm not sure I'm going to be the ray of sunshine. I did not like these books quite Uh-oh. as much as I have. Spoilers. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know what we do here on Weird Sciences, uh, you know, famously, we do not fake the funk. When we love a book, we're going to tell you. And if we don't like a book, we're going to say that too. So that's fine. So you'll notice Chris is not here today. Chris has had to step away from podcasting for a while, not even doing his uh, his X-Lap stuff. Uh, and Ruben has been kind of to step in on an ongoing basis. So thanks, Ruben. We'll be doing this for a little bit. Hopefully. I feel like I'm a bit of a, uh, <laughs> an image of the end since the last time I tried to record regularly for talking about X-Men. We just kind of ran it into the ground. But hopefully you can tolerate me. I, I think we'll be fine. I mean, we, we've had some... <laughs> but the, the forces of nature have turned against us a bit because, as, as you listeners have noticed, it's been a little while since our last show, especially if you're not on the Patreon. So when I was visiting my folks in Florida a couple weeks ago, Ruben and I were all set to go. I typed up our notes, had a whole plan, and like two minutes into recording, a thunderstorm rolled through and knocked out the power. Uh, a generator kicked into my parents' house, but also knocked out the internet. So we just had to scrap that one. So... Those were like the, the issues that lead into two of the issues we're going to talk about today. So you'll still get to hear about that. And then last week was an annuals week, which is what we call it when there's a fifth Wednesday in the month, so a fifth uh, new comic book day. When that happens, most of the weird science family podcasts go Patreon only. So last week, I recorded just little old me talking to a microphone. So if you really want to hear what that sounded like about uh, Judgment Day number three, you can go and sign up on patreon.com slash weird science. Hey, I did a commercial. <laughs> haven't done that before. <clears throat> yeah, Jim's, Jim's going to give us the thumbs up for that. We want to stick around. We got to get, uh, you know, keep keep the boss happy. Okay, so first some, uh, some X-Men news, or PR anyway. We're still only about a third of the way through this current X-Men crossover, but Marvel has already announced, get ready, another X-Men related crossover. This one launching like January, I think they're saying, and it's going to be called SOS, which they left mysterious for like, I don't know, 36 hours before they came out and announced it's going to be Sins of Sinister. So yeah, a lot no of people cr- don't seem to be too excited about that, but I have really enjoyed the Sassy Sinister stories. And um, to all those people who have said, you know, I don't think Sinister can carry his own story. I mean, the Hellions book was pretty much the best book for that a very long a time. Book, yeah. And that was a Sinister book. So I'm all on board for this event. Uh, barring them announcing it's being written by somebody terrible. <laughs> okay, so uh, qualified positivity. We can work with that. Yeah, if they, if they come out and say it's Vita Ayala, not interested. <laughs> it's going to be the next uh, Betsy Britton book, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Marvel did say this. This is there's there a little PR. It's called A New World, A New Disaster. Mr. Sinister's plans come to fruition beyond his wildest dreams, dot, 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 and... His darkest nightmares. Now that now that's an Eric Shea tweet if I ever read one. So I think I think maybe Eric's moonlighting at Marvel and not telling us. Yeah, my only uh, thought is I haven't heard that. I'm gonna just shoot from the hips here. That sounds a whole lot like Age of Apocalypse or um, any of these sort of alt world stories for X Men that they always love to do. In that sense, if it's not that original, it's probably not gonna be very good. But if there's enough sass, I'll still love it. Yeah, Marvel's still being 
way, way, I think, in my, in, uh, for me, way too into this multiple universe, multiple versions of every character thing. That's what's tied up uh, Jason Aaron's Avengers for a while. We've got a Spider-Man event with all the different Spider-Mans again. So I, I hope it's not that, because we've seen enough of that. Give a sassy sinister doing his sassy stuff, and we'll be happy. <clears throat> okay, another bit of news. Deadpool, who, as we all know, considers himself to be, you know, basically a mutant, is getting himself a solo series again. Last one was written by Kelly Thompson. Last, a, a full 10 issue, so it got into double digits. Good work. Uh, I know Chris liked that one more than I did. Uh, what Did you read that one, Ruben? No, I stay very far away from Deadpool. I, I'm not a Deadpool fan, and in general, I'm not a fan of the, um, I guess, humor-based comics, which we get, okay. I guess, Harley on the DC side and Deadpool on this side. Humor is one of those things where, like, if it's like an adventure story or a mystery story, and you don't quite have the right feel for it, it can still be okay. Yeah, when you're not trying to be funny, it's great. A but... humor that's a little bit off is just bad. Yeah. Like, on, yeah. The, on the DC side, uh, yeah, there's, there's sometimes you had some, some, some uh, writers you just don't like their sense of humor, and <clears throat> there's just no dealing with it. So this will be Deadpool Volume 9, will be written by Alyssa Wong, drawn by Martin Kokolo, and it'll be coming out this November. In fact, it looks like Deadpool's first issue will come out November 2nd, the very same day as Judgment Day Omega, the last issue in this, uh, this event. So everybody out there, you might want to plan on camping out in front of your comic shop to get your hands on those two highly, highly collectible Highly collectible, issues. yes. This will pay for your kid's college, for sure. It could. get you know, Seal it in that poly bag. You don't want to get the trading card out. Now, Alyssa Wong, who's writing it, she's written, uh, let's see, she's written Dr. Afra. She's, she, right now, she's writing, uh, uh, Sh- uh, not, not Shang-Chi, uh, the other karate guy. Who am I thinking of? Iron Fist, of course. <laughs> Iron Fist. So, and in fact, that I just finished uh, reviewing the number five in that book with Jim, came out this, this same week as the books we were talking about now, now and- that story didn't actually end. It looks like that story is going to end or at least continue in the Axe tie-in book for Iron Fist. So That's if you're curious what Alyssa Wong, it, it's really weird. I was I was stunned. So if you're curious to see what Alyssa Wong's writing is like and you're keeping up with Axe, there's, there's your chance. Okay, that is all I have for the news. Now we can get into the actual issues of this week. So we're going to go to X-Men first. And X-Men 13, which we, again, didn't get to talk about, was all about, the, well, first we saw the Hex attacking again, because we can't have enough Hex attacks. And we saw the first real teamwork between our main cast of Eternals, the ones we got to know in the Kieran Gillen book, and our main X-Men. And also, kind of strangely, it was the first time out for this brand new X-Men team after the gala, which it couldn't have been anyone's favorite thing to have the new team's first issue be a tie-in. What do you what do you think of that, Ruben? It's it's rough. <laughs> I think I was more favorable uh, for this issue than you were. Just just giving it the benefit of the doubt. I, I get a big kick out of seeing um, the X Men working and and using their powers in a collaborative way. I, I do think that's kind of cool. But it's basically just you know a fight scene from one end to the other. Mm-hmm. And these characters aren't even sort of well known characters. They're I mean, if you picked this up any time other than right now, you're just going to be like, okay, they're fighting big, giant kaiju. Okay. It'll make no sense, right? Sure. Now, um, it, it, it seemed odd that from the perspective of this book, the X-Men were kind of doing okay against the Hex, right? It looked like they were taking yeah. some of them down, whereas from the Kieran Gillen books, the Hex were just running roughshod over everybody, except yes. for that one that got killed 
and resurrected, taking out one of our civilians. Yeah, it, it seemed like a much more challenging battle if you just read the main book. But I guess they needed to demonstrate that the X-Men are really awesome. Right. You can't have you can't have the teams first at time out, make them look like schmucks. That yeah. wouldn't go over well. So yeah. what they did that was kind of fun, it should have been really big, was that, uh, who was it? Icarus did something with the machine to let the X-Men like into the bowels of the machine itself to attack yep. one particular node that they called, quote, cut the fuel lines of the hex, as if the hex were being supplied with very unclear energy or weaponry or something kind yes. of seemed to them from inside the machine. Yeah, and so it's that not was done. clear, but it's an armory and it seems like it's either supplying the ammunition or the energy, as you say. Probably the energy. Maybe maybe they're basically plugged in. I guess so, but I think the idea is that if you if you were reading the main book, you didn't need to read this book. I can't imagine this will really come up in the main book as, oh, this was an important thing that happened. No, there'll be no references once we get out of this event. But we we did see mutants on eternal territory for the first time, right? For so far, all the battles have been on Krakoa. So it's the idea that mutants can go in where only Eternals are supposed to tread. That's a pretty big deal. And Icarus sort of betraying the Eternals a little bit. Obviously, he's clearly decided he's not part of the Druig contingency. Right. Seeing some of those fault lines within Avengers versus X-Men versus Eternals versus Eternals should be A-X-E-E maybe. Yeah. Uh, My big critique of this, uh, my big annoyance, um, and it continues with issue 14, is I hate the way that Dugan is doing Forge. He's the biggest bro that I've ever seen, and I've never seen this character as a tech bro, but it's it's just bad. I mean, it makes him distinct, but distinct in a way that I can't stand. <laughs> that has been placed in the Krakoa era books. That has been, well, I guess it's getting more cartoony now. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, Homer's Neighbors, right? Uh, yeah. Ned Flanders was kind of weird at the beginning, and then yes. in a couple seasons in, he gets so cartoonishly extreme. I think yes. that's what's happening with with uh, our, our man here, that he started yeah. off kind of like a tech bro, and now when he goes from writer to writer, they're really leaning into it to, to yeah, too much. He's basically, he's basically on a beach at the beginning of the attack, or like in the middle of the attack, and he's in a Hawaiian shirt, and they're like, are you going to help us out? And he's just chilling out on a, I don't know what you call this, a chair essentially, drinking a Mai Tai or something. And that's just a little too much for me. I, I can't. I can't go there and say, oh, that's cool that he's so relaxed. I mean, I did appreciate at least that um, similarly when they when they finish <coughs> this fight or yeah, they finish this fight and they're, and uh, Havoc is basically like, hey, let's go get some drinks. And Magic is like, we could have all died and there could be people killed from this uh, attack from the Hex. Like, and you want to go get drinks? Like, what are you doing? That was sort of my reaction. Uh, and so at least he was self-aware that it's sort of obnoxious, but I, I hope I hope they get a little more serious mm-hmm. and very now, quickly. The, the weapon he had created was like even better than he knew, right? Because it coated the hex with nanites to yep. not kill it, but kind of, I guess, cut off its energy again, kind of like what they did uh, in the armory. And yep. they don't know that killing a hex or any other Eternal is going to kill a human, which is why Icarus said no killing Eternals. but. Yep. If they knew that, hey, a weapon like this would be super handy, right? Yes. Yeah, to shut them down. And that's an interesting point because in I, I don't know if this will come up in the main story, but basically Chris says, you know, I'll help you get into the armory if you agree 
not to kill any Eternals without any answer as to why, right? And I right. I can't recall who exactly said, you know, we'll try, but no guarantees. And he was like, that's not good enough. Yeah, like, I think he was talking to Cyclops. Yeah, basically, you have no other option. Don't kill or I'm not helping you. And we know that he did kill at least one member of the Hex from the main story. So I'm curious, will that lead to any sort of repercussions or was that just a throwaway? Yeah, I think that was just a, a throwaway line for Icarus just to remind us, oh, oh, right. Yeah. Killing an Eternal kills a human. Okay. So anything else to say about issue 13? Are we good to go into issue 14? Let's, let's jump into Okay. First thing one. I want to say is let's talk about this cover. We see Cyclops. He looks like he's in some sort of high-tech Jack Kirby Gitmo. It's, he's all tied up. He's on his knees. His hands are bound in some Kirby yes. Tech, he's got a bag over his head. In fact, I yeah. said, do you ever see that old Disney movie, The Black Hole, old mm-hmm. live action science fiction? Mm-hmm. There's a robot on there called Max, Max Million. <clears throat> he had the okay. same, the, the, if you ever see a picture of Max Million from Disney's Black Hole, that's what Cyclops looks like here. And the weird thing is nothing like this actually happens in the book. Yeah. So I'm wondering, was there an, an old plan for a different story and the cover was already made and they just went with it? Or what? Because I don't, I don't know what this. Yeah, it, my guess is there was a different story, or this is, I don't know. Maybe they had one too many issues of X Judgment Day covers commissioned, and they decided just to stick one on X Men for no reason. It's kind of cool looking, but when it it uh, it makes a promise that the rest of the book really does not live up to. Yeah. Okay, so we get into the book, and uh, the main story is told in flashback, which. I, I usually don't like because it takes away a lot of the drama, right? We already know how it's going to end. We know it says right on page one, Iceman saves the world. Yeah. So, okay, no, it's going to be fine, everybody. It's going to be all right. Don't don't get too scared yeah, it's, here. It's like yeah. when you take your kid to a scary movie and you tell them, don't, don't worry. Yeah, they'll be fine at the end. Darth Vader does not get them. Yeah, this this type of storytelling only works if the, the end shot is so shocking that you're like, well, how do we get here, right? And right, like this, this like is there's basically still a twist. somebody writing a newspaper article, right? I don't really care that much, like how we got there, right? It's like, yeah, okay. and there is zero twist between here and there, right? Yes. Iceman saves the world, and the issue is, and then it's yep, Iceman saving the world <laughs> by making ice. Okay, <laughs> we kind of knew that. All right, the one angle here, and this seems to be what you're supposed to to care about, is um, the editor here is saying. You know, you're focusing the story on the fact that he's a gay mutant, um, but that's not necessary to tell the story that the real story is that he saved the world. And then through here, I think we're supposed to come around to say like, oh, no, that that, that, you know, identifier is intrinsic to who he is. And if you omit it from the story, you're not being authentic to him and his experience, which is not a message I, I disagree with. In fact, I do agree with it, but it's just handled so heavy handedly here. And really out of the blue, I, I don't really understand why this is part of the X Judgment Day story. It just seems really out of... When he saves the world, field. by, and part of it, he creates giant rainbows all around him. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> that, it's, it seems like a parody of someone making fun of how yeah. X-Men has been leaning into, oh, did you know Iceman's gay? I did um, X-Spoilers, which I always check after most stories to see how people are reacting and that's there, there's a large contingency if not you know the majority of folks on there are gay identifying fans of the x-men and it did seem to resonate with a lot of folks there so it just doesn't seem like this was really part of the judgment day story and again i wonder this isn't like a standalone story right 
if this was in a trade somewhere, it would make no sense with what else is going on. So it's just bizarre that this wasn't just a one-off story in like an annual. It brings in some aliens who are trying to collect a bounty from Game World. They don't even know Game World isn't even a thing anymore. So right off the bat, it seems dated because that arc completed with the last X-Men team where we've moved on, but I guess not. And they're the ones who dump some stuff into the sun that's going to make us all all dead. So yeah. they mention in the text, oh, we don't need something else while well, we got this whole Eternals thing going on. But that's the only mention of the tie-in up until the very, very last couple pages where this... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's like those last pages, I'm just like, this is going to be bizarre if you're reading it and didn't know anything oh, yeah. about Judgment Day. Yeah, they, when they, if they reprint this in just an X-Men trade, they don't should just that. chop those pages out because it... It doesn't mean anything. So, but but for us, hey, we're we're an axe we're an axe podcast. So this is the part that matters to us. We see Cyclops, who was you know part of the whole saving the world thing. He goes he goes to uh, the Arctic Circle, goes in front of the giant celestial, who is still called the Progenitor. Which I'm still surprised at that because it's supposed to be this whole brand new god. But we're still calling the Progenitor, and Progenitor standing there with his sideways thumb out, and Progenitor says, "Cyclops of Krakoa, you are to be judged." And then he says, I request a change of venue. Now, I've, I've seen my share of you know, legal procedurals, and I don't think that's the right terminology, Scott. Is that, is that what he should be saying? Because he's saying, I don't like you as a judge. Yeah, it's not a venue. The venue is the court, right? You're saying that there's something unfair about where you're being adjudicated. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess it sort of works, but it's certainly not what somebody would say if they had a problem with the judge, right? You'd say, I'd ask you to recuse yourself from this hearing or something like that. Because, yeah, he thinks the, the, the progenitor is not the right judge. I mean, he's a freaking progenitor. He's an eternal. and Not an eternal. He's a celestial. So, you know, what are you going to say? There's really no higher court than that he can go to. But he says, and this is, if the, if the rest of the book was kind of, maybe sort of kind of cringy in one way, this goes cringy <laughs> in an entirely new way in one book. Correct. He says, Correct. the only person alive who can judge me is my wife, Jean Grey, which, oh, come on. I mean, I love my wife too, but it, it, I don't have to bring her up all the time, right? It's, it's an odd way to say that. And I definitely don't give her full name, and I definitely don't do it to strangers, and I don't even understand why he's here talking to the progenitor in the first yeah, place. Yeah, because we were, they were told all the mutants have to be judged, but were they told, okay, form a single file line, sign up for a time slot. Yeah, and show up, get your judgment. Go to your outlook and, and look for an open slot. I don't know how this works. He just shows up yeah. there, and the only response we get is the progenitor saying, Cyclops of Krakoa, you are judged, and he gets the thumbs up. Yeah, we're getting a thumb where it's like wavering to starting to go down, and then and then he's like, nah, I'm going to give you a thumbs up. I like your moxie. <laughs> How do you think these judgments work? Because so far, I, I've started a spreadsheet on this. That I mentioned on my uh, my solo uh, run last time out that, okay, so we had Steve Rogers. He gets a thumbs down. This is Captain Freakin' America. That's, that's a tough grader. Then we get Emma Frost, thumbs down. I mean, okay, she's been a villain for a long time, done some really bad stuff. A lot of red in her ledger, as they'd say in a different book. Crow of the Deviants, he gets a thumbs up. And again, he's been a really bad guy for most of his time in the Marvel books. We we kind of like him now, but he's you know he's done some some weird stuff. He, <laughs> I uh, I mentioned my last time out that you look at his aliases on the Marvel fandom wiki, and he's been known as like Satan, the Devil, Prince of Darkness, and 
for some period of time, he was known possibly, citation needed, as Adolf Hitler. So <clears throat> I don't even want to read that story because I think it's better in my head not knowing. <laughs> but he gets a thumbs up. I still have, I, yeah, I, I've been reading basically every Eternal appearance. Oh, right. Um, and I've not seen this Adolf Hitler alias. So I, I don't know where that comes from. But the Satan thing is basically he sort of looks like a devil and decides to come to Earth and try to get everyone to think he's the devil <laughs> um, because the Celestials are coming and he wants to act like they're, you know, he represents them so that humanity will attack the Celestials. Ah, okay. That's the idea. Sounds like fun. Maybe I'll read that run next. Uh, and then we have Mystique and Destiny also get thumbs down. So two more mostly villainous types. Now we've got Cyclops gets a thumbs up. So do you have any wild speculation or guesses on how this all works? Is he just a magic eight ball? You shake him up and you get a random result? It, it seems like if you're taking it, what he says at, at truth, it, he's saying, you know, if you've fulfilled the purpose that you've set out as your intrinsic being, then you get the thumbs up. And if you're coming up short, you get the thumbs down. I mean, I'm only basing this off of his analysis of why uh, Captain America was thumbs down, because he said you didn't succeed in inspiring the nation to be better than it is. Right. In in this book, we don't get any progenitor voiceover narration. We don't, We just hear what he says. All we hear is, you are judged, and you get a thumbs up. So we don't have any insight there. If you're <clears> going to say, like, well, the fact that he only is letting his wife judge him, and he gets a thumbs up, I guess his wife and the X-Men, maybe, and this is a stretch, maybe this is saying, you know, throughout the history of the Cyclops character, he's really been uncertain about his value. Or very early on in the X-Men, when the original team left, he was like the the guy that was like, nah, I need to stay with Xavier and the school um, because he had no other identity. Right. And no sort of like and the whole uh, purpose for himself. Yeah, were they, were they split into the two teams there? Oh, no, no, I'm talking nope. even before that. Oh, before I mean, that. But my point is, and yeah, when they split into two teams, same thing, right? So he's always been sort of like, I have no purpose beyond, you know, what I achieve. And so maybe he, maybe the view of Dugan is he was uncertain about you know himself, and at this point in time, he actually is very self confident and is satisfied with what he's doing, and has said you know there's only two people that can two two groups of people that can really judge me. That's why he gets the thumbs up. But I, I don't know. I, guess I, I don't know why the other people so get the thumbs down. It's so open for speculation now because we haven't been given much of a, a reason for why anything of this is happening. So I'm hoping eventually we get some sort of rationale for what the progenitor's up to. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. And I really, really hope that we don't get, you know, four or five more books of people just going up to the progenitor and seeking their judgment. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of afraid that that's what's going to happen. We're going to get all these, I think a lot of these tie-in issues may very well be unrelated story, three pages, judged by the progenitor. Yeah. That, that could be what happens. That's, that's, that's the easiest way really to write sad. That's, that's the X of Swords story all over again, right? Like, there's a contest and you're supposed to carry issue by issue. Like, are they winning or not winning? I mean, that, like, and that's what my fear, right? Like, do you really care like that we're now two, two yeses and four no's? I kind of care now. Are you nervous about that? <laughs> but it could, I care now because I'm still trying to figure out if there's a reason. If it becomes clear to me there's no reason, then my interest goes to zero. <clears throat> <laughs> It's so, just arbitrary. Yeah, right, so, yeah, if it's just arbitrary, then come on. I mean, and it is even worse than like an only X-Men tie-in, you know, where at least we can pretend all these writers talk to each other through their x lack and things. We've got all sorts of unrelated, like like we said earlier, like uh, Iron Fist is going to be part of this. I don't imagine 
Alyssa Wong. I mean, she is coming in to do an almost sort of kind of mutant character, but I don't think she's in on the, the Kieran Gillen planning for all of this. They could just publish a book and it'll be like nine page or nine panel spreads, page after page, just the character. Are they getting the thumbs up or down? Because we've got <laughs> about six billion people here to judge, right? So yes. I don't know if only main characters get to you know go up one at a time and everyone else gets, you know, comes in the mail. I don't know how it works for everybody else, but... And I'd like to know, like, is he thumbsing up only the superheroes, right? Like, am I getting judged if I'm in the 616? <laughs> I think everybody is. That's what. That's why we have these civilians. I think they, he's spoken to them. I mean, that uh, that voice to the whole world went to the whole world. You will be judged. So I think it's everybody. Yeah, and it's I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't like the way it's portrayed. One of the cool things to me about the Celestials, having read a bunch of Eternal stories, is they're supposed to be so beyond in power that for example like when they're doing these judgments they kind of send out their life essence across the whole globe and they've got access to everything at once and they're processing it all at once so that so the idea that you have to like go to them in this location and get your one-off judgment it just really doesn't kind of makes them smaller right right? jack the jack kirby eternals and celestials were these unimaginably huge giant like the kind of thing you couldn't possibly understand because your brain is not nearly large enough to conceive of something as big and magnificent, right? It's it's him reflecting on God, basically. And if and, this was mm-hmm. if this was shown as like the celestial calling him into some sort of like mind conference or something, I could maybe have gotten more on board with this. But it really seems like he took a flight to Antarctica or wherever this is taking place to get his judgment, and it's just dumb. Okay, that's I think all I have to say about X Men. Are we good with X Men? On to X-Force. So, when we were going to talk about X-Force number 30, my whole write-up was like three sentences saying, this cover is a lie, it says Judgment Day tie-in, it has no connection at all, but then here in issue two of the arc, we do get pretty much the same kind of connection we got for X-Men. So, back in X-Force 30, we got Deadpool coming back onto X-Force, which ties in with Ben Percy's Wolverine book, Ben Percy also writing the X-Force book, and we saw Craven in the Arctic. He cuts open a polar bear, finds Deadpool inside of it, and then we get most of the issue being a flashback explaining where this happens, where it was your general Omega Red shenanigans. Omega Red is trying to kind of sort of be part of the X-Force team, so he and Deadpool got sent out to rescue some mutants from Russia, and that's where he- Deadpool annoys Omega Red, and- Kind of saw that coming, yeah. Yeah, Omega Red kills him, basically. Well- I guess throws him overboard and then he gets mauled by a polar bear. Yeah, I think Omega Red like chopped him into pieces and like like nailed those pieces down so they couldn't reassemble. And then he gets eaten by the uh, polar bear. And then yeah, we and then uh, at the end, Omega Red goes into a bar, not a joke, and he hears uh, a Russian guy call the mutants apex predators. Which that phrase again for a while there in comics, that that phrase was all over the place. So I think Craven, not Omega Red, but. Yeah, Craven goes in. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Craven, Craven goes into the bar. Here's the phrase Apex Predator. And, you know, that makes Craven hashtag triggered because Predators, he's all about being the Apex Predator. So if somebody else is Apex Predator, he's got to take him down a notch. So that was the end yes. of X-Force number 30. Again, nothing in there mentioned the tie. And other than, hey, it's taken place in the Arctic, which, you know, hey, other stuff is going on there. <clears throat> the strangest thing on 30 for me is the beginning when they show wolverine effectively quitting and he goes up to a tree and like slices it all up right 
Oh yeah, that seems like doesn't that break one of the respect these sacred yes, land that's laws? Exactly where I'm We've going. seen yep. people throw it in the hole for far less than that. Yes. Yeah. Well, we had a whole thing Sabertooth. with um, the Sabretooth book where it was like I think somebody was practicing their powers on the land and that got them thrown in the hole. But I guess if you're a Wolverine you you get a pass. X Force protocols. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see more X Force protocols coming up in number thirty one. Okay, yeah. so X Force number thirty one. Again I want to mention this cover, because this is a very striking cover. We see Craven wearing Beast as like a fursuit, like he's kind of into his, his furry phase. <clears throat> he's wearing, the, you know, Beast like he's a Muppet, and he's got Deadpool's head on a stick. And again, a lot of this doesn't actually happen exactly this way in the book. We don't actually see him kill and skin Beast and wear him like uh, Moira did with Banshee back in, what was that, Death, X-Deaths of Wolverine, I guess? So that doesn't and actually I would happen. say, in general, Craven as a villain for a team is not terribly threatening to me, at least. I, I don't know if people really think like, man, this guy's amazing, but he can't even be Spider-Man. <laughs> and now he's going after an entire island of like super-powered people who can, you know, resurrect. Well, I like, mean, these are super-powered people like who are dealing with some other problems at the moment. So maybe, maybe that'll lower the level. Yeah, of he'll difficulty. get a few. He'll get like two people, and then they'll realize he's there messing with things. Maybe he'll skin Banshee out. again. I don't know. That'd be funny to see. <laughs> Like, not this again, damn it. Yeah. Okay, so, and oh, by the way, this is not, if you haven't been keeping up with, uh, if you're not Craven super fans, by the way, this is not the Craven who was part of Craven's Last Hunt and all those classic Craven stories. This is the last son of Craven, who, as far as I know, has not been given a first name. So, this was part of the Nick Spencer Superman run, where the older Craven was dying and he had himself cloned, and various clones were kind of fighting to be the next. Craven and the one who killed off everybody else, he got to be the new Craven, and that's that's this Craven, which actually matters to the story because we we start off with Craven again in Antarctica. Now he he's not wearing beast, he's not wearing blue fur, he's wearing the white fur of a polar bear. Going for an ice hike. He's climbing around through the ice. We see things in the ice that must just be his thoughts projected because that that those those wouldn't actually be there. But we get this kind of dime store Freudian Oedipal thing going on where he he has was not actually born from a woman and he was not birthed in pain the way everybody else was. So he thinks somehow that's he's missing something. So he's seeking a replacement for that missing part of himself. And then we see him show up in front of the celestial, a progenitor, and strip buck ass naked with some steam just in the right place. So although we got to see Spider-Man's 60-year-old rear end this week, we don't actually see any of Craven's little dangly bits. So what what do you make of this opening, Ruben? That's pretty hilarious. I actually didn't even think about that, but the idea of idiot walking up there, getting naked, and then being like, judge me is pretty freaking hilarious. Yeah, this isn't Chatterbait, dude. I don't know what you're doing, but nobody wants to see that. <laughs> no wonder he's like basically like, this, this world is a failure. <laughs> <laughs> So I bet we haven't seen a judgment yet, so we'll come back later and, and see uh, <laughs> see what the judgment is. So meanwhile, I have a feeling he's going to get a thumbs up, though, right? <laughs> he's being true to himself. Well, this is one way to <laughs> test that hypothesis, I guess, because it's certainly true that this Craven is true to himself. He's crazy-ass Craven through and through. So meanwhile, back on Krakoa, we get to see who is this supposed to be chasing Black Tom? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking this is some random Eternal that hasn't been identified. Because I think this is supposed to be, according to the beginning of the issue, taking place uh, concurrently 
with Wolverine 24, which hasn't come out yet, and after Axe Judgment Day number three. So if it's after Axe number three, then... I think just- it's more in the middle of three, right after Druig has, has announced Get Back Out There. But I thought the only Get Back Out There was for the Hex, and this is some other... I think he sent it. I think he sent everybody. Okay, that, that's fine. Again, it doesn't yeah. really matter, so... I'm not going to think more about this than the writer did because I think I already have. <laughs> so he, well, this is just to throw in, yes, we know this is taking place. There's also, oh, we're also being attacked by the Eternals because the rest of the story is not about that. Uh, yeah. He runs off and I guess this this one Eternal just stops chasing him because, you know, he's got another scene to do. And yeah. uh, he's, we see him and Beast and, uh, oh, what's this lady's name again? I always forget her name. Sage. Sage. Yes, thank you. Her and Beast and Sage because uh, it's X-Force. They go and see Omega Red instead of dropping those Russian mutants off in Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. He instead hijacks the whole boat and drives it directly to uh, Krakoa. Now, how you can take a boat from Russia to Krakoa, let's just say he went through a portal, I guess, because otherwise it's hard to connect those places. <clears throat> and, I didn't even think and that. And Beast is That's really mad because this was supposed to be uh, a PR stunt, right? Yeah, showing how, yep. showing the world. That the mutants, you know, getting getting some 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 sympathy from the humans. Yeah, I mean, I think we're supposed to think like, oh man, Beast is so dark. But half the time, I'm with him. Like these ideas he's got actually make a lot of sense, and I don't understand why these people are wasting these opportunities. Yeah, I think he's he's most fun this version of Beast when he's kind of on the edge, right? Like we can he's doing some some bad stuff, but we can kind of see why. Sometimes I think some writers have him tip over a little too much of the cartoony, mustache-twirling bad guy side of things, or whiskers, I suppose, if he's the beast. Yeah, so we've got Omega Red jumping off the boat, and he's got one of the sailors, right? And this is another, you know, I guess these rules don't matter anymore moments because he takes this Russian sailor and mutilates him, essentially. We don't see it on screen, but Nobody it's, seems to care. it's confirmed later on that he does have this completely now helpless, captured... Russian, you know, slave trader, bad guy. I'm, you know, I'm not on his side. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, he does murder him to death off screen, which again, I know, okay, X-Force has an exemption from some things, but that's like in the course of duty, right? Like if he had to kill a pirate to rescue these mutants, that'd be one thing. But then to bring him back home and just, you know, kill him for fun, that, that seems like you should, you should get a couple centuries in the hole for that. And I understand they've discontinued the hole, but there's, these are still the laws, right? And I would assume that someone like Beast would care about the laws, even though he understands that it's appropriate to break them at times. Right. I mean, he cares. At least he'll care about the laws or the appearance of the laws, right? He, he doesn't really mind some killing happening, but he wants to be seen as he finds the laws useful, I think. And he wants the laws to be applied to everybody else. And then we get this interesting... Uh, logbook, this data page. So it's it's Beast. It's basically Beast's logbook, his own captain's log. And in this thing, we're shown, he says that uh, this was done to remind the world of our historic victimization and paint another country as the enemy. And we're supposed to think, oh, this is Beast being bad here, right? That he's going over the top, that this is a wrong thing to do, to use historic victimization to score cheap PR points. And that's bad. Yeah, except you need to do that as a world actor. That's just the world we live also, in, right? Also, isn't that just what the other X-Men writer did in X-Men this week? Using historic yeah. victimization of a different group to score some cheap points? Yeah. 
that's that's my hot take for this week. Is that, that is a good hot take? Is that uh, yeah, Ben Percy? The thing that Ben Percy criticizes this week is the exact same thing that uh, that Dugan does. So if you're angry about that, you, you, you like can write in. Good hot but take. That's my hot take. I don't know if, if Jim can drop in a hot take. Drop there. Here, I, I, I just did it. He doesn't have to. So now we go back. Go back to. Uh, to our, our our naked friend in the Arctic there, which I mean that can't be flattering. It's it's cold in the Arctic. Things are going to start yeah. not just shriveling up but yeah. falling off pretty quick. I got to think <laughs> he's just a guy, right? I don't think you could actually do. No, this. I mean he, I'm, I'm sure he's on all sorts of you know steroidy type drugs, whatever the Bane yeah. Venom equivalent is over here in Marvel. But yeah, he's yeah. he's not a man of steel. What's up with this knife, dude? It's pretty hilarious. I mean, I expected him to actually go with the celestial with the knife. <laughs> So, and now he goes from being kind of Freudian to being kind of like Nietzschean. Talks about the world being a cold and different place, and, you know, God is dead, or at least God doesn't care. The void doesn't listen. I mean, that's right out of Nietzsche, right? Like, you stare into the void, yeah. the void stares into you. I don't think I'm reading yeah. that in. I think we're supposed to see Frederick Nietzsche being reflected here <clears throat> in Craven. And yeah. so he's presenting himself for judgment, and then. Okay, we know he wants to kill mutants because he heard the whole apex predator thing. And so he carves an X into his hand with the knife and he shows that to the progenitor. I don't I don't know what that means. Any guesses there? It's just Ben Percy's obsession with like body horror. And I, and I am kind of getting tired of his writing of the X characters because this seems to be his his well yeah i mean he is doing a lot of body horror stuff and ghost rider now too so i'm sure it's top of mind for him okay okay so we're leaving craven behind again we'll come back to one more time i think it's supposed to be hey i've got an x in my hand and i'm crushing it and that's real badass right yeah but i don't know why he would show the progenitor that i don't know but anyway back back on krakoa we see we've been getting this growing relationship between sage i remember her name and omega red right because she she sees him as kind of a kindred spirit in a weird way. Where has her alcohol problem been a thing before very recently? Or is this brand new? It it has, but I don't know it got her on the wagon. And I also don't really see oh, the, she is, the traction. She is to not on the wagon. Omega Red. She is she thinks she's got it <laughs> under control, like she's like a functional alcoholic, like but she's still, yeah. you know, she's carrying around a flask. We don't know what's in it. She looks kind of tipsy. We've got some little her facial expressions don't look very sober. Maybe that's just the artist. But she yeah. kind of con- thinks that Omega Red's addiction to, you know, murdering dudes is akin to her addiction to a little bit of booze. Yeah. Just helps her deal with the bad stuff. A weird connection. And so she's kind of showing him like, hey, I can drink a little on the side and still do my job. For you, I've got this holodeck, the shadow room, and you can do your freaky ass stuff in here. And, you know, do that between missions and then try to keep yourself together, <clears throat> which I'm glad we don't see on screen what happens because here we get the, uh, we see the trafficker's finger and a few of his teeth and we really get, yeah. this is what we know for sure. Oh yeah, he, he toyed with this guy and, and murdered him slowly and painfully. So I, yes. I guess going to a hollow deck to do that is better than, you know, for real. So, some of the writing and just the interpersonal stuff is getting comical, but annoying. Right, especially this idea that maybe she's into him. It's like, oh yeah, you you sometimes murder people horribly. Yeah, whatever. It's just like me drinking. It's the same thing. We are same, you and I. Yes, I have no problem. I have no problem with that. Right? Like seriously, I, I, if this was played out a little better, you know, by a, a writer that's a little better than this, I could see her being more like, you know, 
do your thing. I don't want to know about it. But without the sort of weird romantic angle, and it would make a lot more sense. Unless she's a psycho. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really seeing Sage, the romantic but... thing, although, you know, make, <clears throat> of course, they might end doing that. I'm just seeing almost like a like an AA sponsor almost relationship. Like, I want to get you, you know, not sober because that's not her thing either, but I think I'm, I can manage my addiction. Let me show you how to manage yours. I'm going to say in, in say, six issues, we're going to have some kind of more overt romantic connection. I just see that's what's going okay. on here. We've been putting a marker down. Let's see that's what happens. That's my hot take. Yep. One hot take each. Okay. And it's going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> just a warning. It's going to I think be the bad. Vegas odds on that are you're not going to win a whole lot of money for that prediction. <laughs> Once again, we return to Craven. Now he's at his own hunting lodge in the Arctic. Uh, and this goes oddly comedic. Up till now, Craven in this issue has been completely dead serious. I mean, maybe we've laughed at him a bit, but it's not presented as comedic. And now we get him. He walks into his house. We see all the dead animals on the wall. And he puts up the polar bear's head, and inside the jaws of the polar bear's head is Deadpool's head, which, that's a funny panel. <laughs> He's wearing pants this time. Thank God. All favors, yeah. <laughs> he, p- he puts that Deadpool on the wall, and then we get a lot of blah, blah, blah voiceover from Craven about how he's now planning to go after the mutants. We see he's got yep. a little picture of Beast, you know, maybe this is what inspired the cover or vice versa. And meanwhile, in the background, we've got the Evil Dead 2 happening. Have you seen the Evil Dead 2? Uh, I think I Oh, everyone should see Evil Dead 2 because it's a horror comedy, the best classic horror comedy. And we see Deadpool's hand start walking around like he's Thing from Adam's family, climb up to find Deadpool's head. I could have done without the picking his own nose and eating the booger scene. I could have, you could have cut those panels out. I thought that was maybe a bit too much. But then he like frees the head, and you get the head right around on top of the hand, flying around. A leg comes out of nowhere to trip Craven. That was pretty funny. Again, a very different shift of tone from what Craven's been this issue. And eventually, Deadpool puts himself back together. Okay, yes. a funny scene. I, I laughed at the scene, but the the tone was was weird in context. Yeah, I'm probably too many pages spent on this. I'm flipping through. This is what four pages. Yeah, that's about that. Okay, so yeah, they did that. That was the thing that happened. Back once again to Krakoa. A lot of back and forth between Craven and Krakoa here. And now we see a conversation between Beast and Sage. And once again, this is seen to be put in here to let us know, if you think Beast isn't a baddie, you're wrong, because Beast is a baddie. The book <laughs> is telling you he's not the good person here. Yes. He, I mean, he, he doesn't like all these new mutants coming in. He didn't want them. I don't Weren't the mutants eventually going to get yeah. to Krakoa anyway, even if they went to Sweden first? Isn't that yes. what they do? Yeah, he seems. To, this seems to be like some sort of reference to the border crossing. Yeah, he he, stuff he almost says, "Build the wall." I mean, he, he comes right yeah. up to the edge of that. <laughs> Make Krakoa agree. Yeah, all these. Yeah, they're, they're not sending us their best mutants. You know, he talks about you <laughs> yes. know some of the mutants doing bad stuff, and they did this and they did that. Oh, one of your refugees burglarized the Summers residence. Were we already told that burglary is not a crime anymore? Okay. Yes. So this is a gratuitous scene just to say Beast is bad and Sage, who <laughs> she's already drinking a, drinking a tiki drink from the bar, which we already know Blob makes some pretty strong drinks, and she adds more booze from her flask into her tiki drink. So I hope, I hope she gets an intervention pretty soon because she seems pretty far gone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's extreme, and yet actually... This is characterization work that I will laugh about. 
the more boozy she is, the more ridiculous she is, I'll probably enjoy that. And then just in case you thought the beast stuff was too subtle for you so far, we get a quote page, a a mostly blank quote page in the words of our our dear friend Chris. Uh, and this is from Colossus. And I'm I'm going to do this in a I'm going to attempt a Russian accent. Let's see how this goes. It is my understanding, Beast, that you are upset about the Russian refugees who arrived recently on our shores. I advise you to keep this position to yourself. Know that if you were to take action against them, say, if any are deported or happen to go missing, you should expect a most unwelcome visit from me. So that's what Colossus says. So that again How did he hear how did he hear this? Is this basically suggesting that Beast is just like walking around the island being like, oh, those fucking refugees. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I mean, we know like, Colossus is- Everyone hears it about it. It makes sense that Colossus and Beast have a history here, right? Where Beast yeah. you know, dragged Colossus off in chains because Colossus is Russian and the other bad guy was Russian. That was the, the unsubtle thing that happened, I don't know, probably a year ago now. But yeah. And again, isn't Colossus currently being controlled by the Russians? It's on and, on and, off, and off again. So that, that plot point is going to come out somehow. Yeah, I don't think it's like perpetual control. It seems to be when um, his brother wants to wants to kind of control his behavior, he can. That plot point's got to come to the forefront sooner or later, I and mean, it's it's been dangling for a good long time. The the chronicler, I guess. And I think they, I think he could have spun this a little tighter with reference to that because it, it it just. Well, it, I don't yeah, think they want I to because that they had an issue with Russia. That would yeah. I think they, they don't want it to be complicated. They just want to say, in case you're wondering, reader, we don't like Beast. He's, he's doing yeah. bad stuff. He's too judgy. Too judgy, that beast. So now we get for one final, final time back with uh, our friend Craven. Uh, Deadpool's alive again, back together, but he's now all tied up like he's a pinata. And Deadpool, because he can't stop talking, starts bragging about how he's basically a mutant. He's on the X-Force. And uh, I'm an honorary mutant, like a, a hootant. Okay. It, it took me a year of trying, but they finally gave me the keys to the kingdom. The keys, you say, to the gates? Now, do you think that Beast would have given Deadpool unrestricted access to the Krakoan gates? Does that seem like a thing that our paranoid, power-hungry blue friend would have done? No, I would have thought that, you know, he needs to be accompanied by somebody. You'd think so, but, I mean, we, we haven't seen it work yet, but the very last page is like a redo of Children of the Atom, right? We've had all these... We, twice in a row in Children of the Atom, we had a cliffhanger with non-mutants in front of a gate with something they think might let them through the gate. And now Craven, he doesn't have the Beast's fursuit, but he does actually have Deadpool's head chopped off again on a spear. On a pike. And yep. I guess we're supposed to think that he's going to be able to go through the gates like this because it says next, Craven versus Krakoa. Yeah. It probably won't work, and that'll actually make me laugh watching Craven walk into it. That would it. be fun, have him break his nose like Kitty did. Excuse me, Kate. <laughs> yep. Don't call me Kitty. Yes. Back on uh, like Marauders number one. That'd yeah. be nice. He has to find another way there. That'd be cool. Yes. So he presented himself for, I mean, our, we're, we're doing Axe Judgment Day podcast is, you know, basically we're calling ourselves here. He presented himself for judgment to the progenitor, and what did the progenitor say to him? It's anything. Just kind of stare. Nothing. At so on my spreadsheet, I had to ha add a whole new column. I had a thumbs up column. <laughs> add a thumbs down column. I had to add a no judgment column, uh, and that's where Craven goes. So I don't know if he's and maybe still the pending. idea is because he's a clone. He doesn't count. Maybe he's maybe he's still pending. He has to prove his, his way one or another. But yeah. So those were our issues this week. No real strong tie-ins to our event. Alas. 
Uh, I thought, no, this plays towards my fear of all these tie-ins now being, you know, get your judgment. Mm -hmm. And I I really don't want that. And as I said at the beginning, I don't see Craven as a big threat. So, okay, great. He's going to go after some mutants. Yeah, I mean, so he arrives there. Sometimes, I mean, we saw him in the Beyond Spider-Man arc most recently, this son of Craven, Craven. And there he had some like hallucinogenic drugs and, and blow darts and things. And that you know that worked pretty well against Spider Man and Ben Riley, but I don't see that working against. It's interesting as a one on one thing, right? He goes after one person who's kind of isolated. That's kind of creepy and scary, and I, I do like that story. But again, it's the whole island, right? And if he hunts people outside the island, it'll make a little more sense to me. Maybe but... it's maybe it's just Beast. I don't know why he would have a vendetta against Beast in particular, but that's the only picture of a mutant we saw in his hunting lodge there. That could be kind of neat. I mean, we know that in this book, Beast has already been, you know, one of the main characters. Yeah, that could be interesting. Maybe Paranoid Beast. Yeah, maybe he'll be paranoid that he's being hunted and it won't be overt. Yeah, maybe be you know, like, Beast oh, doesn't want to go for help for anybody. Beast. Maybe that's why how you can eliminate all the other millions of mutants who would, would help out. Yeah, but Black maybe Black Tom's really busy with the whole Eternals thing and doesn't notice. Who knows? I I we've been hard I've been hard on this issue. I did think that uh the X Force thirty one was a much much more fun issue just as an issue than X-Men this week. I, I agree. It's at least a story that I see building, even if it's not a story, I'm excited to see where it goes. It kind of has some direction and the progress there is in the issues. I don't feel like it's just a drawn out fight scene for a fight scene's sake. I'm really worried about the Duke and X-Men stories. I mean, for a brief moment, I thought maybe it was getting better and I, I wonder, does he actually have a story? It doesn't to tell seem to have X-Men? a real direction in X-Men. I mean, again, that should be the flagship book. That should be the, if you're going to be reading one mutant book, read X-Men, right? But it, it is a yeah. side story to a side story to a side story. And I don't know if that's because yeah, there's no- Yeah, if you're going to read one book, read Immortal. If you're going to read two, read Red. And if you have to read all the X-Men books, this is okay to read. I mean, I'll stick with it, but I, I don't know. If it goes another six issues like this, I might it's drop It's better it. than Otherworld, but it doesn't seem important, especially since they yeah. lock themselves into- you know, only like 10, 12, 10, 11 issues before we're going to give you a whole new team. I think that, that I think that was a gimmick that seemed <laughs> yeah. like a good PR gimmick that story-wise really puts them in, in handcuffs. Yeah, it's it's not great. I think I've had enough of the, the Galas. They'll probably do one more, but I can't see this being a forever thing. Yeah, I, I think they have to at least mention it again next year, unless, of course, they reboot the whole Krakoa setup, unless, unless the whole status quo changes. I think they have to have to keep doing that. Okay, so we're yeah. right now like But so far there's there's been nothing. Sorry, just to finish the thought. There's like nothing in 13 14 issues of X-Men where I could say like this was the cool thing you're going to have to remember for 20 years from now, right? For that era. Yeah, I think the only thing the only important thing that happened was that's where the whole uh reporter finds out about the immortality bit happens. So I if you talk, if you want to find think about it, an important plot point that was the important plot point. But again, that was going to happen sooner or later anyway. So event-wise... Yeah, they need to get back mm-hmm. to, as you say it, they got to get back to the um, the Sinister clone, whatever his name was. I don't remember. Dr. Yes, Stasis. Yes, Dr. Stasis, the one with the... That part was interesting. Find out I, the I was ones. into that. And then, yeah, that was a good story. And maybe what happened is this all just got, you know, kind of screwed up by this event happening when it happened. Could be. Okay, so event-wise, not a whole lot happened this week. We saw Cyclops present himself for judgment, get a thumbs up. We saw Craven present himself for judgment, bare naked and all, and get get no judgment at all. Very Nietzschean 
God does not care about him at all. Other than that, the event did not move forward. Now, next week, we've got four books allegedly tying in coming out next week. We have Acts, Death of the Mutants, number two. Now, Death of the Mutants, number one, was part of that Lost show. So I'm sure we'll mention that next week, just like we talked about the the lead-ins to uh, X-Force and X-Men. We have Immortal X-Men, number six. So those first two books, both written by our head of Axe, Kieran Gillen. So those should be true true tie-ins, I would think, right? Yeah, I think that'll be good. I mean, Immortal has been a good book pretty much every issue, and I would expect that to reinvigorate my excitement for this event. But this was definitely sort of a stretch the last two weeks. I guess three was, was there, so maybe it was a three-week stretch where it was like not so excited, then a little more excited because of three, and then back down because of this. But I, I would like to get more excited about this event again. I was really high on it to begin with, and it's kind of yeah. I I think the, um, losing the some core of its story is still good, but it's it's suffering from Marvel bloat syndrome, which you know it's 2022. Yeah. It's hard. And to part get away of from it that. is it's just all these like side battles, right? Like as if the main story wasn't a big enough threat, and it really diminishes it, right? It's like the the Eternals are supposed to be this huge threat, right? But we have time to go fight random aliens. Yeah, and these two side stories, they're not the even sun. like tie-in side stories. Both these main, the main action of both these books could have happened any time. It does have, has nothing to do with the presence of a giant celestial on Earth and a battle between the main superhero groups. So it, they feel like, like stories that were written anyway that just had a little bit of window dressing put on so you could, you could make people buying the event, buy some issues they otherwise would have skipped. Yeah, that's probably so right. So, Death to Mutants and Immortal X-Men should both be, both be, we hope, actual tie-ins. And then we've got Marauders number six by Steve Orlando. Now, now, Ruben, have you been reading Marauders? <sighs> no, I, I read the first issue and realized I just don't like Orlando's Yeah, this writing. is the Steve Orlando book, and I, I mostly avoid the Orlando Zone. As much as I loved when Jeremy would do the Orlando Zone readings back in the day, his, his dialogue he does a lot of stuff that I love, but yeah, the dialogue is just cringe. I I am a big fan of people that will pick up really weird, obscure toys from these universes and try to make them relevant, and he does that right, but the dialogue just hurts. It hurts a lot. So. Well, I'll read Marauders number six. I have not I'll been probably reading any back of it. up and read at least number five to figure out what's going on, and maybe I'll bring in a coffee can to get that echo effect, because I, I can't do that on my computer like uh, like Jeremy did, but... We'll, we'll, t- we'll at least mention it next week, and if we say, yeah, it doesn't matter, maybe that's all we have to say. But hey, maybe it'll be fantastic. Who the hell knows? And finally, the fourth book for next week is Wolverine number 24, which is also written by Ben Percy, right? So we'll see if he's – is that starting a new arc? Is that continuing with the whole he's angry at the island bit? Is it continuing with the Deadpool bit? I, I don't really look at previews or oh, if God. I can help it, so I don't know what's coming up there. <laughs> Maybe that'll be yeah, Wolverine 28 pages of him presenting himself. and slicing trees. And maybe Wolverine presents himself for judgment in a little <laughs> epilogue, and we'll see. Maybe we'll get some more information about how this judgment works, being optimistic here. Yeah. But between those four books. That'd be great. Between yeah. four books, we'll have, we'll have enough to talk about next week. Yeah. I expect two of them to be good and the others to be forgettable. And the Piercy book could impress me. That could be the X Factor where three out of four are good. That would be wonderful. I'd love that. Okay, so... Again, we're about a third of the way through the events, at least by total issue count, right? For the main event, we're three out of six. We're kind of halfway, but if you count up all the tie-ins, we're like a third of the way there. Uh, okay, so so far, again, I think the core story is like an A-minus, B-plus level 
but there's a lot of lot of tie-ins, very, very skippable. Correct. Yeah, if you just read like the main book, I probably and maybe that um, X Men Red issue, I'd probably be pretty high if that was that was it, and that would tell you all you really need to know. And hopefully, at this point, we're done with the you know something big happens in the core story, and then the next tie-in is like actually showing you the minutia of that. I would say as, I, a, really as a rule of thumb, that trope. that's been played if out. If the writer is Kieran Gillen, probably you should read that book. So far, Death the Mutants hasn't been super relevant, but it does feel the most like uh, that Eternals run that I loved so much. We get the narration from the progenitor, the narration from the machine, and you, you were getting to see the interaction between those characters that I, I, I loved how, how Gillen worked those characters a lot. So I think that's a, a worthwhile book. The others... The others, I mean, if you're if you're yeah, buying Wolverine I, anyway, you're going to keep buying Wolverine, but don't buy Wolverine just because you want to see what happens in Axe. You don't need to. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what's going on with the Deviants having shown up on Krakoa. Oh, right. That, that's right. That was the big cliffhanger last time was that it seemed like th- this death to the mutants was going to be uh, a big Deviant tie-in, which is cool because, again, on the, the one I talked about, Maybe last week again. It's all blurring together. All our lost shows, but the idea that hey, the the uh, deviants are actually just kind of mutants. Or mutants are deviants, or deviants are mutants. We just shipped all those mutants off to Mars, and maybe they all got killed off. We'll find out in red next time. Now we have all these other mutants. What's going to happen there? Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing that. And actually, really, it was like a wow moment for me because I really thought this is just drug being drug right sort of like just scapegoating somebody but when they actually walked through the portals i was like yeah. wait a second maybe actually there are, are some implications here more related right i'd i'd be more yeah. you know speaking outside of the books now i'd be thinking this is more important if i saw that happen in a book not written by kieran gillen because if it's only kieran <laughs> gillen stuff maybe that's yeah. only a kieran gillen thing if it happened in x-men yeah then it would be okay this this is yeah. for reals this is really happening so we'll, we'll see, but yeah. it's a cool well, story. I know a lot of people don't give a damn about Eternals, but I actually felt like that was a, a big, could be picked up by writers, you know, going forward. Absolutely. That like Deviants and Mutants are related, right? I could see that being a thing that's six One of the around. last things I want to say is I like to drop in a little recommended reading if you've, you know, have some other, you know, things you want to read in the background to kind of fill in some of the gaps or learn about some characters. We didn't mention Firestar this week, but she is on the X-Men team now. And she is kind of a cool character. Uh, so if you've got the Marvel Unlimited, which, you know, it's a cool thing to have, or if, you know, you know your way around the internet and can read books other ways, there was a, a Firestar miniseries. Oh, I forget what year it was, but it was showing her origin story and her interactions with Emma and why her she and Emma have some history together. I think that was a, a good book to read. So it's like a five-issue miniseries. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Throw, throw just... Yeah, I'll throw this name Firestar into Marvel Unlimited, and it'll come up. And it's it's a cool little story. So if you read that uh, letter from her dad, that was the data sheet at the end of the previous X Men book, talking about you know, hey Emma, you owe my owe my daughter. Don't mess around with her. Be good to her. That's what is being referred to was the events of that miniseries. So check that out. Yeah, and that's an interesting character dynamic. I know Emma has has really changed over the years, and I. My understanding is that like her screwing over Firestar is like one of her regrets, right? So it'd be kind of cool if yeah, if Emma Emma did some dark she stuff herself there. through. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I hope uh, some other folks out there enjoy that too. It's, it's a fun little read. Well, I think that's about all I have to say this week. Ruben, was there any tidbits of wisdom you have written down we didn't get to talk about? 
No? Oh, no, you, that's you it. put it all out there already. That's great. Okay, so I hope everyone enjoyed what <laughs> I think will be our new status quo ongoing for this podcast with me and Ruben. We had a good time chatting. I hope you had a good time listening, and we will see you again next time. Bye-bye. Later. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.